3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning, listeners. You're listening to Thursday Breakfast on 3CR 855 AM. It is the 24th of September, um, and I'm here with Carly. Hey, Carly, how's it going? Hey, Priya. It is going good this week, yeah. Um, How you going? Yeah, I'm going all right. Lots on my plate, but ain't that the way? Mm. Yeah, the sun's out, um, so that excites Mm. me. Yes. (laughs) Um, it's been good to get a bit of sunshine, although I think the, the weekend's going to be pretty, uh, pretty droll, pretty rainy, but got to soak it up while we can. Mm. Good reading weather. Oh, what I would give to have a good fiction recommendation right now. Um, <laughs> so, uh, this, uh, this week we've got, uh, a couple of interesting things to bring to you, but before we jump into that, um, we have a couple of causes that we wanted to tell you about, events we wanted to tell you about. So um, maybe I will go first um, as I'm going to be referring to something that happened yesterday. So this is um, ex Detainees Day and this was um, a date coined by RISE Refugee Survivors and ex Detainees. And I'm just going to quickly read out um, their statement, although I will let you know where you can find more information, including on how to donate to RISE um, after this. Uh, but in Australia, the Exitani community is arguably one of the poorest, most racially profiled and systematically discriminated against community group. The labels of refugee, permanent resident or citizen bestowed upon us, and this is written by Ramesh Fernandez, by various state authorities after subjecting us to the torture of detention is meaningless when we and our families and our children suffer from the scars of Australia's white supremacist detention policies. So here are the 10 things that you can do, um, according to RISE, if you are not an ex-detainee. And this was originally authored in 2016. So number one is amplify refugee survivor and ex-detainee voices. Number two, realize when to back off. Number three, leave refugee survivors and ex-detainees to speak on behalf of themselves. Do not use the images or stories of refugees, survivors, and ex-detainees to promote your causes. Don't refer to them as illegals, irregular arrivals, as queue jumpers. Be aware of misinformation about refugee survivors and ex-detainees being perpetuated by governments and tabloids. Don't expect them to educate you on your privilege. Boycott the detention industry. Act against the government's detention policies and support anti-deportations. So if you want to read that full statement um, on uh, the 2020 Ex-Detainees Day, you can visit www.riserefugee.org slash x dash detainees dash day dash statement dash 2020. And Carly, I'll pass on to you because you're going to tell us about an event that's upcoming. Yes, I am Priya. So our friends over at Tuesday Breakfast um, are going to be hosting an incredible panel event um, in collaboration with Democracy in Colour. 
and it's called Classroom to Newsroom, Racial Gatekeeping in Australian Media. And it's featuring Osman Faruqi, Madeleine Heyman-Reba, Jim Marlowe and Arij Nur. Um, so just such an incredible lineup. And um, yeah, like the media diversity in Australia's groundbreaking report in Who Gets to Tell Australian Stories made headlines in August. And the statistics included that more than 75% of presenters, commentators and reporters have an Anglo-Celtic background compared to just 6% having an Indigenous or non-European background, and also that 77% of those respondents with culturally diverse backgrounds believe that their backgrounds are a barrier to career progression. So, yeah, taking those stats and actually, like, yeah, people of colour, black people actually talking about their lived experiences from going from university, learning about journalism, and then into the real world is going to be a really yeah fantastic event and I'm so excited for it yeah likewise um so oh I just wanted to yeah let listeners know that um to listen to the discussion um it's on Thursday the 24th of September and just head to the Facebook event uh, so it's called classroom to newsroom racial gatekeeping in Australian media um, you can also see that link on 3CR Tuesday Breakfast's Instagram and we'll also put it up on our Instagram page for the week as well. Um, yeah, so you can either listen in on Thursday uh, at 6pm and just go to the Facebook page or you can also listen in to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast next week to hear the full discussion. Yeah, awesome. And um, that don't already follow us, by the way, on Instagram, we are at 3CR Thursday Breakfast. And everybody should follow us so that you know uh, in advance what's going to be playing for the week. Uh, we usually post a little teaser of what's going to be on the show um, the day before. So, you know, just a little plug of our Instagram. Um, so we've got some pretty interesting things for you today. Um, All right. So first up this morning, we hear an interview uh, where Shahrazad speaks with Sue McKinnon. Uh, for King Lake Friends of the Forest Inc., a not-for-profit environment organisation that is established to advocate for the preservation of the native forests in King Lake and the Central Highlands. Um, and Sue joins us to talk about Vic Forest's alleged logging of bushfire protection areas in the Central Highlands. After that, we're going to hear Unseated Airwaves, Listening with Compassion, which is written and read by Jason DeSantolo. This text was part of in Endless Study, Infinite Debt, which is an ongoing collaborative project facilitated by Snack Syndicate that brings together artists, writers, and activists to build spaces of dialogue and collective learning. Dr. Jason DeSantolo is a researcher and creative producer of Garwa and Barangam Descent and is an associate professor of Indigenous research in the School of Design at the University of Technology, Sydney. All right, and this last one, I'm super excited to bring to you all. And please, young people, feel free to get in touch with us via the Instagram if you've got some cool projects that you want to talk about, because I got the chance to speak with Mabel, um, who is a Bondic, Gunachmara, and Naranjari kid who lives on Ghana country, uh, who has started an undercover kindness campaign with her family. She sends care packages and positive affirmations to mob around the country. And Mabel has been doing this with her mom and is just 10 years old. Uh, so really shows that you can definitely bring a change in the world and, um, you know, bring about the kind of world we want to live in, mutual aid, care for everybody, respect for all human life. 
um, regardless of what age you are. Oh, how special. I can't wait to listen, Priya. Um, so now we'll go to Kate Kelly with the news. Good morning. I'm Kate Kelly, and here are the top stories on 3CR this Thursday. The Morrison government's rejection of a net zero emissions target for 2050 is at odds with the Paris Agreement and more than 100 countries that have backed the goal, according to some of Australia's most experienced climate experts. Scott Morrison said on Sunday that the government's position was to reach net zero carbon dioxide emissions in the second half of the century and will certainly achieve that, he said. Asked why he would not commit to the 2050 goal, which has been backed by businesses, farmers, unions and environmental groups and every state and territory, the Prime Minister said, because I'm more interested in the doing. Owen Jackson, who is policy director at the Investor Group on Climate Change and an observer at international climate conferences since the 1990s, said it was very clear that by ratifying the Paris Agreement, Australia had agreed to global heating should be limited to between 1.5 degrees and 2 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels, and commitments should be informed by the latest science. He said countries in Paris in Paris, including Australia, has specifically asked the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change to examine what 1.5 degree of heating would mean and what needed to be done to avoid it. So the resulting report, which was released in 2018, found global emissions needed to effectively be cut in half and to reach net zero by 2050. The report found staying with 2 degrees heating would require net zero by 2070 but the impact of that would likely be far worse. Australia chose to stick with its existing 2030 target of a 26% to 28% cut below 2005 levels and is yet to set a date to reach net zero. And in Victoria, investigations into Aboriginal deaths in custody will be fast-tracked as part of an overhaul announced by the Victoria's Coroner's Court. So coroners will immediately attend the scene of a death in custody and a specialist Koori Court officer will meet grieving families. An initial court hearing will also be held within 28 days of a death in custody. Also under the changes, the investigating coroner will be briefed on relevant cultural issues surrounding the death within 48 hours of the death taking place. So these considerations can include investigators obtaining witness statements outside of a police station, allowing a support person to be present, and ensuring the collection of evidence such as CCTV footage as early as possible. The coroner's legal counsel must also make contact with the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service to facilitate advice for families on their rights in relation to the coronal process. And fast-track plans for an LGBTQIA aged care facility in Pran has caused anger among locals. So the development forms part of Victoria's plan to stimulate the local economy through a post-COVID construction blitz worth hundreds of millions of dollars. However, it is not the idea of having such a facility in the air which is causing concern among residents, as the Greens politician Sam Hibbins, a state member for Prime, explained when he said, It's really important to have an LGBTQI-specific aged care facility in Prime, but needs to be done in a way that respects planning schemes. There is no reason why this development could not have gone ahead had proper planning processes been followed. 
but the planning minister has decided to use the COVID building task force to override the local planning scheme. So the proposed development comp- comprises a six-storey building located on the corner of Greville and Charles Streets and has been on the cards for some time. Run by Rainbow Tick approved care provider LifeView, it will be the first aged care facility of its kind in inner-city Melbourne. The community's concerns around the size and bulk of the development, said Sam Hibbins. So a development application submitted for the site reveals inadequate setbacks for the building with local residents expressing concern that it will be built very close to the site boundaries and that it was at risk of overwhelming the local streetscape. So far, 122 objectors to the plan have been lodged. And that's it for Thursday's headlines. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, Melbourne's Voice of Dissent. 3CR Community Radio, 855 on the AM dial, streaming live at 3cr.org.au or on 3CR Digital in Melbourne. Goongaroo Environment Centre is a grassroots community organisation campaigning for East Gippsland's precious forests. For over 15 years we've been using direct action, citizen science and community engagement to stop the continued logging of precious native forests and threatened species habitat. After this summer's terrible bushfires, there's an even greater urgency to protect what remains, and the Victorian government haven't ruled out plans to log the small fragments of unburnt forests and so-called salvage log in burnt areas. It's now so important that forests and wildlife are protected so they can recover. Head to gecko.org.au to keep updated with the latest news and to get involved. Gecko acknowledges the logging is happening on the stolen lands of the Gunnakurnai and Bidwell and Monaro people and that sovereignty was never ceded. A 3CR supporter. You're listening to 3CR, Thursday morning breakfast, 8.55am. The song that we're going to go into now is I Am by Genesis Owusu. See the sun. 
my shoes, but now I found my brand new groove. Pray for me, pray for the moon. Every night you look for doom. I had scars up in my shoes, but now I found my brand new groove. My brand new groove. Just then we heard I Am by Genesis Owusu. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet, www.3cr.org.au. G'day you mob, Kutcher Edwards here. I just want to send out a message to you all. To stop the spread of COVID-19, also known as the coronavirus, it is advised that you keep 1.5 metres away from each other. Follow rules on social gatherings. Wash your hands when appropriate and stay home if you're feeling sick or unwell. But most of all, keep strong, stay safe. And of course, keep listening to 3CR community radio to keep connected to the community we'll get through this and hope to see you real soon bye you're listening to thursday breakfast on 3cr 855 am so sue mckinnon from king lake friends of the forest which is a not-for-profit environmental organization established to advocate for the preservation of native forests in king lake and the central highlands joins us to talk about Big Forest's alleged logging of bushfire protection areas in the Central Highlands. So, hi, Sue. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, Shirazad. Good to be here. Thank you. Um, so, first, before we get into it, could you tell us a bit about uh, King Lake Friends of the Forest and the work that you do? Okay, so King Lake Friends of the Forest started about two years ago, two and a half years ago. We just wanted to spread the word about um, logging in our state forests and uh, particularly in the the Central Highlands region. Um, So that's sort of from, well, essentially from um, Wandong or or near Whittlesea through um, King Lake across to the Borbors and from down south would be Noogee area right up to um, Eildon, um, Eildon Dam. And uh, so state forest in there is logged quite heavily by the, um, by the, the state government um, company um, association called Vic Forests. And we found that a lot of people didn't know about this. So we wanted to tell people about it. We also wanted to advocate for our state forests to protect them and to, um, to, to hope that uh, they could be used for wildlife and for tourism and for just recreation and fun and um, so we've been going for quite some time we run talks um, we've run surveys for greater gliders um, we've our most popular thing is the spotlight nights for greater gliders and um, it doesn't doesn't matter what the weather is or or what's going on there's always 20 or 30 people come along in the um, in the dark in the forest and uh, and come looking for spot for greater gliders with us and it's it's always a lot of fun a lot of excitement when we see them and um, 
photos and uh, yeah it's good fun so recently um we took Vic Forest to court and um and so we've got a court case running at the moment could you tell us a little bit about that court case firstly is it the one um about the login uh within 20 meters of public view is it that one Yes, so our case is um, the the Vic Forest have to abide by the code of um, code of practice for timber harvest, timber production, and um, one clause in there that says that logging must be screened from view, um, and using a minimum of a twenty meter buffer from roads and tracks. And anyone who goes into the forest knows that uh, logging is right up um, against roads. Is sort of driving along, visiting a place, you know, what amazed me um, particularly was when I went to visit um, Ada Tree and, and it's such a hot spot for tourism. Um, but the road to it was just wall-to-wall logging, you know. It was it was an awful experience driving along that road. Um, and then you got, a you know, a small glimpse of forest around Ada Tree and you went back on the road to Powelltown and um, through logging coops and um, these are just barren barren areas of um, you know stumps or you know young five ten year old trees which really isn't forest so we took Vic Forest to court the judge said that they did have a, a there there was a quest to be answered and um, we have we're waiting for our court case to be heard it, won't be heard until May next year. But in the meantime, the judge said, well, you know, we, we think that um, we asked for an injunction and the judge agreed and said that no, uh, Vic Frost can't fell any trees within 20 metres of any road or track in the entire Central Highlands. So that's uh, a lot of hectares and a lot of roads and tracks that will be a little bit prettier than they, they could have been otherwise. Um, there'll also be a bit of land, you know, for, for wildlife as well, a few trees for wildlife. Okay, so additional to, to the um, screening from roads, uh, screening from view, um, Vic Forest publish, must publish a list of um, the, the areas of forest that they're going to log. And how much, of, uh, yeah. So they they publish that and it's gazetted through um, government. And we looked at that and found that the areas that they said they were going to log um, were being exceeded. So each each area of us that, um, that they have on their plan has a gross area and also a net area inside that that they're going to log. And the net area was being exceeded by sometimes, um, you know, 10, 20 hectares, sometimes, you know, 80% over what they said they were going to log. So we added that to our court case and the judge also agreed that that was a question that had answered and also agreed to our injunction um, to so Vic Frost is now um, not allowed to log more than the net area published on the December um, December 2019 timber release plan that was gazetted by them. 
Um, I can ask, so December 2019 was before the bushfires. Can, can I ask, so, like, so I know that Gippsland, uh, Vic Forest in May, April or May, Vic Forest was continuing to log even though a lot of the areas have been destroyed, like the protection areas have been destroyed. So I just wanted to know if there was like similar things happening in the Central Highlands or around King Lake. Yeah, so um, when the fires went through in East Gippsland, um, Vic Frost lost a lot of um, forests that they were going planning to log. And um, so instead of changing their contract or reducing their supply in any way, they just they just moved on to a different area, which is um, Central Highlands. And... Um, increase the intensity of logging in the central highlands. Um, I mean, they've always been logging in this area. They've been, they log both in the central highlands and East Gippsland. And I must also pay my respects to the land, um, the traditional custodians of those, land, of those lands. It's the Wurundjeri and the Tungurong near us in the central highlands and the Gunai Kurnai, a little bit Central Highlands and in East Gippsland. And, um, yeah, so when they lost all that uh, forest, and when we all lost all that forest, they just moved on to cut down forest closer to um, us in the Central, the central Highlands. Uh, that continued until May, um, so they didn't log at all in the Central Highlands. And then in July, um, they put a new um, a new uh, plan through government and gazetted that new plan, and that is to log burnt forest. So the areas that have been burnt in in East Gippsland are currently being logged. They put through sixty areas and approved them all for themselves, and. Uh, They've probably gone by now. Um, they started. They started soon after it went through. I think in July. Um, what is it now? September. They've. Yeah, they'll be going hell for leather. <laughs> the reason for this interview is uh, you sent out a press release about the allegations that Vic Forest has been logging or breaching the bushfire management clause of the Code of Practice for Timber Production. Yeah. I suppose. Could you tell us a bit about that, and also a bit about the before, before, just a bit about the cause and the code of practice? Yeah, so, um, the, well, if you go back a little bit further back, um, in the 1900s, there was a um, contract with the, um, the paper mill in Gippsland and, um, and that was to supply native forest to that paper mill. And the, the amount is set. So that contract was renewed several times and now it is uh, scheduled to finish their sort of 20-year periods, I think, or 30-year periods. And it's scheduled to finish in 2030. Um, Vic Forest, the, the, the timber industry has always had to abide by some regulations. And um, 
in 2009, we had the fires in the Central Highlands. 2012, um, we had the bushfire, the code of practice for bushfire management come in. And that came in as a result of the 2009 fires uh, review. And in that code of practice for bushfire management, uh, several bushfire management zones were established and placed throughout Victorian public land. There's four different zones. Um, I'll just quickly list them off. There's asset protection zone, bushfire moderation zone, landscape management zone, and planned burn exclusion zone. So they're the they were established in 2012. Now, the code of practice for production, uh, code of practice for timber production, that existed before 2014, but it was reviewed and it was it was re-established in 2014 and rewritten. And in that code is reference to the bushfire management zones that were established in 2012. So uh, there is a clause in that timber production code that says that for any uh, bushfire management zone, uh, there's a maximum of 1% can be logged per year um, over a rolling average of, you know, five years and you just take the average over five years. So it's, it's quite clear that where you've got a, say, a bushfire moderation zone, you can only log 1% of that area per annum. And so these bushfire moderation zones were established um, in consideration of, you know, proximity to community infrastructure, um, the fire behaviour in that kind of vegetation, the topography. So all those things were taken into account when they uh, placed the bushfire management zones. They also did take into account the fact that logging occurs, um, but of course, priority has got to be human life. And um, yeah, so, so that's a bit of a history. And we just looked through that and um, came across this clause and thought, well, that's a bit, that's interesting. Um, let's have a closer look and do some calculations. And we found that in, two areas, uh, in fact, three areas, the, um, that clause has been broken. Uh, or we allege it's been broken. Our calculations say that the clause has been, um, the, the maximum amount that they're allowed to log in three different areas has been exceeded. And we wrote to the department about this. The Department of Environment is supposed to um, regulate the code. We wrote to them three weeks ago, uh, three weeks before, so it's four weeks ago now, and we heard nothing back. At the same time, you know, King Lake Friends of the Forest were talking with Warburton Environment Group and Rubicon Forest Protection Group, and um, at the same time, Rubicon Forest Protection Group wrote to not only DELP, not only the Department of Environment, but they wrote also to Vic Forrest and to Lily D'Ambrosio, Minister for Environment, and to Dan Andrews, and to each of the board members individually, and said, "Look, the bushfire—we're we're alleging that the bushfire management zone has been exceeded. 
and um, and this is a very serious allegation and we, we suggest that you don't log anymore in these particular areas where you have exceeded um, our calculations say you've exceeded the um, the maximum allowed and um, so we actually thought well it's such a serious allegation we're pretty right we hadn't heard anything back from Forest from from Delp, but were pretty confident. It was to my amazement that we saw logging recommence in one of those areas where we where our calculation they've exceeded the maximum amount, and that was when we set put out the media release. Um, yeah, so that was early last week. Our allegation is still very much current, and um, we're seeing what's going to happen. So, so whereabouts, which um, towns are they near and whereabouts exactly? Well, I mean, it's pretty disgusting, really. The whole thing started with the 2009 fires and with so many people were killed in those fires. So many people died from smoke inhalation. So many people lost their houses, their properties and their mental health. And these management zones were brought in um, immediately following that. And particularly that, that fire started off in Kilmore and it, it slowed a little bit in Mount Disappointment where it's got established forest. And then it got into some area where it just took off. It just raced across and people, I haven't followed exactly where it went and how it went, but it raced across to King Lake and um, Marysville, Mar Marysville and um, you know devastation that follows everyone remembers that and yet in 2014 the, the period between 2014 and 2020 Vic Forest um, our, our calculations say that Vic Forest exceeded the maximum amount in Mount Disappointment so in the area that this that this fire raced through well, was actually went quite slowly through the established forest. It, it's it's now logged forest, so it's now dry, dense regrowth forest. And I just hate to think of what's going to happen if a fire hits that area now. Um, it's it's just a moonscape of of young regrowth forest. So that's one of the areas. It's Mount Disappointment between Wandong and Whittlesea. Um, or Wallen, if you know that. Wallen's not far from Wandong. The other area is just to the west of Taggarty. So if you go from Hillsville heading up to Eildon, if you're going to Eildon or if you're going to Mount Buller, Taggarty's on your way. And the forest range just to the left of it is called Black Range. And, um, and that's one of the areas that uh, we also allege they have logged over the maximum amount. The other area is now Powtown, and, and that's why we're talking with Warburton Environment Group. We always talk anyway. Um, but we, our calculations say they've exceeded the maximum amount in an area near Powtown as well. The, the, it's, it doesn't stop there. So it doesn't, this is the current situation with the current timber release plan. In August, Vic Forest released a, a 
another proposal. So they have now decided that after the East Gippsland fires, they need a whole lot more forest to log. So Vic Forest produced this next document, which is the August timber release plan, with over 200 more areas of forest to be logged, in, mainly in the central highlands. And um, we looked through that and there's more, uh, you know, if, if these proposals go through, there's going to be a whole lot more breaches. I guess also in, in the press release um, and, and what you mentioned earlier, the Vic Forest after the bushfires kind of moved to Central Highlands, or started logging more in Central Highlands, not moved to. Um, I suppose, like, how do you see the, like intersections between like politics we know that big forest is state it's a state-owned kind of company that works as a company from what i understand um but also that they need to fulfill contracts like you said in the press release with uh, nippon nippon inks paper mill um so yeah i guess how do you see all the the politics around this uh working and the sort of different um economic interests let's say well, I see all logging as politics. It's nothing to do with economics at all. Um, it's a loss-making industry. Um, last year, Vic Forest made a $2 million profit, but given $11 million in grants. So <laughs> we've basically paid for Vic Forest to destroy our forest. It's not a... It's We don't log... To make money, um, yeah, sure. Uh, and as far as contracts go, there's really one main contract, and that's the one with the paper mill, the Nippon Ink paper mill, and that takes most of the wood. That, in fact, takes takes over eighty percent, eighty five percent of the wood that is removed from the forest. Um, there are shorter term contracts with sawmills um, uh, come and go. Um, the The paper mill can be supplied by plantation wood. So at the moment, the paper mill, I think, has uh, got a good percentage. I can't recall which. 45, I think, percent of its um, wood is coming from plantations. Most of that's in the north, uh, sorry, the southwest of Victoria. Um, Victoria exports 6 million tonnes of wood chips every year, plantation plantation hardwood. So that is the wood that can be used in paper. And, in fact, it's better than, um, than our native wood for, um, for paper. But um, Nippon Inc. are getting such a good deal of our, paper, of our native forests that they don't want to use any more plantation they're quite happy with the amount of plantation wood they're using. And, in fact, they grow their own plantation wood in Victoria and export it away from Victoria. They export it, I assume, to Japan. Um, so, um, yeah, so your question was politics. The whole thing is about politics. Um, there seems to be a very strong push from the CFMEU to continue logging. And um, and we assume that the um, Premier is, is very much um, at the mercy of the CFMEU in what he does.
I guess, how do you see the the COVID pandemic politics playing out in the logging? Mm. If they are, do you see them playing out in the logging? Because I, I guess, like, I I don't think there's much difference. Um, there was a very, I mean, logging is allowed to continue. With it's an industry that's uh, counted as essential. Um, I don't. See See that it's essential. Um, it's certainly not essential that we remove our native forest to make paper and to make packaging um, and to make pellets. Um, when things could be made from plantation wood, and we have that plantation wood, in fact, we export it at great high, high rates. Um, so it's just another sad thing. It doesn't make any difference. So we have been destroying our native forest for paper for a long time and we're continuing to destroy our native forest for paper. The difference, I guess, with, with COVID is that the protest movement has been just nobbled. Um, it was getting to the stage where, where there would be seven or eight logging operations in a single day stopped by protesters. And these protests were coming repeatedly. So Vic Forest were stopping, being stopped repeatedly again and again and again by protesters. And these are people that, law-abiding people, um, that have never done anything like this before but are so appalled and have been so appalled for so long that um, they're walking into these sites or going up uh, trees and sitting in trees or locking on to machinery. And, um, uh, yeah, it was, it's just a whole movement that's been been stopped by COVID. I think it will start again, frankly. Um, mm-hmm. And I think in the meantime there's been five community groups, grassroots community groups that have been, that have taken Vic Forest to court and, um, and perhaps... Perhaps um, the legal uh, action is is increasing as you know as we're locked in and, and can't go out as people can't go out and um, <laughs> do things fully. But yeah, I guess like the login's still happening. Um, yeah, I guess it, it, in May as well, sixty six big forest logging coops were found to be um, unlawful or illegal, and that was like a three year long case, from what I understand, and. Oh, yeah, out of those seven allegations, one was in regards to the login from the 20 minute, twenty metres from public view. Uh, was that the one that you were talking about earlier? Um, in May this year, we, we've got the result of the Friends of Leadbeater Possum versus Vic Forrest case, and that was a federal court case that, as you said, ran for three years. And uh, that finished... Uh, oh, July last year and we've been waiting and waiting for the result to come through and in May it came through and it was 100% for Friends of Leadbeater Possum. Um, everything that they alleged was upheld and um, and that included that clause saying that uh, logging should be screened from view and there should be a 20-metre buffer as a minimum and um, so which of course made made everyone confident that um that that clause can be tried in 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 state court as well um where was I into with that 
Oh, yes. So every every allegation that, that the Friends of Leadbeat Opossum took to court was upheld and every single coop, I hate to call them coops, they're our forest. So every single area of forest that Vic Forest had chosen to, to log um, and, and Friends of Leadies alleged was either illegal or going to be illegal. So there were some areas of forest that they had logged and some areas of forest that they partly logged and some that they were proposing to log. All of those got into the case. All, all, all the ones that were tried were um, upheld and, and, and there's been this massive federal court decision that, that Vic Forest were logging illegally and, and, and are going to log illegally, which has had massive repercussions. I mean, one small repercussion really is is us taking Vic Forest to court on, on one of the allegations. Another is Warburton Environment Group taking Vic Forest to court on, on a similar allegation plus others. Um, they're also claiming that, that Vic Forest can't log within 20 metres of a road. They're also um, challenging Vic Forest on logging and not protecting a very precious tree, a, a, a critical, an endangered tree called the tree G-bung. Um, this, this tree is one that, um, that doesn't, that it's, its fruit isn't viable until the tree is about 120 years old. So they have to have very old trees to reproduce and um, logging's just cutting them down. They're always they're in wet forest and loggers prefer wet forest and, um, and the trees are just, just going down and, and their numbers are going down and there's, there's Warburton environment um, are alleging that there's no evidence of them protecting those trees and the code says that they must protect them where possible. Um, so... Uh, that's been one repercussion of the um, finding of illegality in the Friends of Leadbeater Opossum case, the Possums case, we call it. And the other, another um, repercussion has been banned. Has said it will no longer um, supply wood from thick forests, and that was huge because Bunning had cited that beforehand. So that was really massive. Um, another thing was Office Works have decided that they will only um, supply Forest Stewardship Council, FSC approved paper. They had made that decision before. They'd made that decision a long time ago. And, um, and that will continue. Vic Forest just changed their supply chain and reshuffled things so they can still supply to office works. They have some um, wood supply, some plantation wood. So some of their paper they claim has FSC accreditation. It's the low level of accreditation, but it's still going to be sold at office works. Another repercussion is, um, is, is the serious uh, uh, trouble that that, Vic, that um, all the customers at Vic Forest now have because of this finding, where they export to other countries. Um, there's a question as to uh, the legality of material they're exporting. So there's countries like the USA and 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 um, Europe 
that will not take illegally wood or wood materials such as paper. And those countries are now looking at Australia and saying, well, can we get any, any wood products from you if there's illegal logging happening and, and going into that supply chain? That's going to be big. That's, that's, yeah, just waiting for the result of those investigations. Well, if there'll be an investigation and the result of it. We know that they destroy habitat. We know that it, uh, the logging close to town increases the severity of bushfire on human population. But also uh, logging kills wildlife as well. Um, and I was wondering, are there any endangered species or um, wildlife there that is that has been destroyed? You mentioned uh, earlier the greater glider or the glider walks that you mm -hmm. did. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose, could you speak a bit? To, to that and the wildlife in those areas? Yeah. Look, there is, there is, there is hardly any places where, there, where big forests aren't destroying wildlife. In fact, there's no places big forests aren't destroying wildlife. I mean, um, there's lyrebirds all over the place, which, you know, recent studies have said they're, they're turning over tons and tons of, of, um, of leaves and twigs every year and, um, and, and doing a lot to, to, um, address the, the fire issue of forests. And, and a lot of, a lot of our forests are, are, are protection for us from fires because they're wet forests and they're established forest. And, you know, Mount Disappointment is damp forest. Um, when you cut it down and you make, um, and, and it regrows, it regrows with millions and millions of saplings. Uh, the sun hits the ground, the wind um, rushes through it. It's, it's, it's um, you know, how you build a fire when you're, in, when you're doing a campfire. You, you put the small twigs on first and it just makes common sense that, that logging is going to increase fire um, risk and, um, and, and science has proven it, it does. Um, so there are all the animals that die. We recently found a baby wombat and um, not far from a logging coop. Whenever we go into these areas of forest that they're going to log, we do animal surveys. And, um, and, and unfortunately, wombats aren't protected. They're not listed as endangered. But every time we, there's, there's wombat burrows all through these areas and there's big, you know, I don't know, 50, 100 tonne trucks that just drive over these burrows. And um, you can imagine what happens. And we saved a little baby wombat. It, it didn't survive, unfortunately, but um, it was, um, yeah, just a bit of an emotional time. Um, then there's the endangered animals. And we often go looking for uh, greater gliders. We often find them. Um, when we do, we uh, take a film of them and we record them and we record the DS and we report them. To, Vic For to the Department of Environment who tell Vic Forest. Uh, Vic Forest say that they uh, address it. So every the tree that we find the greater glider in can be logged. The area that we find the greater glider in can be logged. Uh, Vic Forest, um, there's, a, there's a new action statement out for greater gliders that say that 40% of the um, basal area of the trees in that in that um, forest area need to be retained, but um, uh, we're arguing against what Vic Forest, how Vic Forest are interpreting that 
they're putting 40% of the basal area of the, of the forest um, retained over in one corner. And um, our of that, the action statement is that 40% of the trees should be retained right through the forest area that they're logging. And, um, and certainly the research that put up that claim that, um, that 40% needed to be retained um, was based on 40% being retained right throughout the logged area. So even when we find greater gliders, you know, we still know they're going to go. Um, the, the research has shown that, that greater gliders die soon after logging. They don't have, um, they don't have storage of energy to, to keep them going until they find a new feed tree or a new, a new home. Then there's, um, so sometimes they're referred to, I don't know if people know what a greater glider is, but we refer to them as a flying koala. They just, they eat leaves. They're a animal that has oh, pr probably the animal's about the size of a cat, quite a large cat really. And, but it has a tail that is um, 60 centimetres long, very long black tail. And, um, and they don't do a lot. They, they're a bit like a koala and they just eat leaves and then they just digest them. There's a lot of toxins in leaves and that's why koalas do a similar thing. That when they eat, they just have to sit around and wait for all those tox toxins to be um, denatured before they can eat more. So that's why they don't have any storage of energy. They just got to eat and just wait. And when you look at them, when you see them, um, we're just yakking away. We can have 20 people just talking and laughing and flicking the spotlights through the trees. And we see a greater glider and they don't mind. They just look at us and um, they don't move off. So they're, they're quite, a, they're a really fun animal to look for in the forest. Um, and then they glide. So they'll only glide a few times in a night and they'll glide to their next feed tree and have a bit of a munch and then glide, glide home again. Um, there's also koalas in, in the forest. So where we don't find these koalas, in, yeah, um, it seems to be where we don't find greater gliders, there's, there's often a koala found. Um, no protection again for koalas. So where the, the tree that the koala's found in can be felled. Um, Oh, and lead beater possum. Um, of course, most people have heard of lead beater possum. That's what the whole case was about. Uh, well, actually, that was the case was also about greater gliders in a lot of ways. Um, so they're a smaller animal, a lot harder to find, a lot harder to find. Uh, the people that find these have in, have um, heat cameras, so they they detect the lead beater possum by the heat that its body puts out because they'll often hide behind a bit of bark and they're only tiny. So um, fortunately, when a lead bed possum is found, it gets a buffer, so Vic Forest can't actually log where it's found. We don't know that its home is protected, but where it was found gets a 200-metre buffer. It's, it's not enough for um, the colony to, to, to expand, but um, it might be for an animal to live that is <laughs> of course you know it's, it's the community that have to find these lead beater possums um it, most of them are found by community members doing um scientists doing citizen science and um and i can recommend that to anyone 
because uh, it's, it's just a lot of fun going out at night and seeing the forest in a whole new light. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and I wanted to ask, well, first, was there anything more that you wanted to say or share with listeners? Um, no, I think I've talked a lot. Um, I don't know, have I missed anything? Um, perhaps I, I, jotted down the word, I jotted down the word force majeure here. You know, we're, we're desperate for the government to, to finish this contract all contracts have a force. There's, this contract has a force majeure clause, which means that, you know, with unexpected um, disastrous effects, unexpected reasons that supply can be stopped, um, the force majeure can be implemented and, um, and and there's no fines. It's just, um, it, it just needs to be implemented. And... Um, and we're just staggered that um, that it hasn't happened, especially with, the, you know, it should have happened after the 2009 fires, but for it not to happen after the last disaster is, is staggering. Um, I'm really emotional about the, the forest itself, the trees. They are just beautiful. About the animals, um, you know, it really ups me when I know some of these greater gliders, you know, they, 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 there's white ones and white and grey ones, you know, white ones with a grey stripe through the nose and there's there's black and white ones and you just get to know them and they, they look at you and uh, it, it's it's really sad. Um, the wombat's going, I just find it all really sad. But not everyone is emotional about forest and about animals. But what amazes me is that the bushfire management zone clauses are being what, what we, we believe are being... Um, uh, broken and 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 there's every every evidence that that Vic Forest have have pulled out of the the bit of forest that we alleged they were um, going over the maximum amount. So there's every evidence that Vic Forest actually agree with us that those clauses are being broken. And you know, for community to have to fight the government their own safety is just just insane. It just goes against all of their patronising comments about how we're looking after you after these fires, uh, I, you know, it makes me think that they only put out fires to to keep this have logs. If listeners uh, want to find out more or if they want to get involved, how can they do so? If you want to learn more about um, our, uh, what we're doing, it, it, go to King Lake Friends of the Forest uh, Facebook site is probably the best. We ha- also have a website and um and and if you'd like to be on our email list just give us a yell as well great thank you so much sue for joining us thanks Shirazad. thank you that was sue mckinnon from king lake friends of the forest who joined us to discuss allegations that big forests have been logging and breaching the fire management exclusion plan which dictates where big forests can log and if they log too close to settlements to human settlements then it increases bushfire severity you're listening to thursday breakfast on 3cr 855 am or digital 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming You can also listen back to our show on Apple Podcasts. Just search 3CR Thursday Breakfast. (laughs) 3CR Community Radio. 
855am. You're listening to 3CR Thursday morning breakfast. It's time to head into a track. So this one is On One by JK47. Steady pumping off back then I 
swear they were acting like we ain't exist But we cooked up some hits and showed them what the flavor is So miss me with that hate and spin this for your neighbors' kids They can all agree like JK47 made for this Shout out all my family, I've been way too busy Shout out all my people that be really with me I just want a ball and put on for my city Tell them get a ticket, take a listen cause we own one Shout out all my family, I've been way too busy Shout out all my people that be really with me just wanna ball and put on for my city. Now they wanna call and talk a minute, cause we own one. Want some? Go ahead and get your own one. I ain't gonna pull up on them, I just phone up. One love from my brothers, repping no one. Get a ticket, take a listen, cause we own one. Want some? Go ahead and get your own one. I ain't gonna pull up on them, I just phone up. One love from my brothers, repping no one. Go ahead and tell my enemies I'm ready. And just then, we heard On One by JK47. You're on 3CR Thursday Breakfast, 8.55am. Or on podcast, just search 3CR Thursday Breakfast in your podcast app. And now we return to our Thursday Breakfast poetry and writing segment. So today we hear Unseated Airwaves, Listening with Compassion, which was written and is read by Jason DeSantolo. The text was part of Endless Study, Infinite Debt, an ongoing collaborative project facilitated by Snack Syndicate that brings together artists, writers and activists to build space for dialogue and collective learning. So we heard Groundwork, one of the texts from that same project a couple of weeks ago. Dr. Jason DeSantolo is a researcher and creative producer of Garawa and Barangam Descent. He is Associate Professor of Indigenous Research in the School of Design at the University of Technology, Sydney. And now we go to Unseated Airways, Listening with Compassion. Unseated Airwaves, Listening with Compassion. The committed act of listening is a key to storying experiences that honour, support and care for those who suffer now and into the future. Pandemic as a teacher has forced the entire world to shut down and listen to the health crisis. Indigenous community responses to the pandemic have been swift and assertive in Australia and around the world. The relational care model is self-determining and reflects kinship and protocols that have been around for thousands of years. Despite the success of these self-determining community-controlled health responses, the state is still acting with disproportionate force. In small Aboriginal communities in the Northern Territory, we see military presence and targeted enforcements of isolation and border laws. For now, the contraction rate is low in Australia, unlike in other Indigenous and Black communities around the world that are standing strong despite devastating death rates and ongoing impacts. President of the Australian Indigenous Doctors Association, Dr Chris Rallabaker, sums it up in his paper, We live in dangerous times, not unprecedented. In quote, Where the pox had failed, the musket, hate and rifle looked to finish the job. This is a reminder that in Australia we survived genocide. We all live in unceded lands and now communicate through unceded airwaves. Moments like COVID-19 reveal what we all know intuitively. Colonisation of this continent has stripped us of our innate ability for self-love. How do we track the surge and resurge of growth and healing through and beyond the pandemic? 
one of the rebel leaders of our tribe, Elder, Elder Nancy McDenny, offered me this in conversation about notions of happiness. And quote, Compassion is a happening. When I sit peacefully on country, Maruga Morwa, I am happy inside my tummy. This short reflection is offered up as part of a decolonizing protocol that calls for compassionate listening to guide collective action in times of crisis. The night before children slept sound, our relations rested, Mother Earth stilled, senses attuned to the stars, now dreams of resurgence bind unseated airwaves. Mangugiyaji, hear us. Living in the city, my little family has grown even more grateful to be sustained and held by Gadigal and Wangal lands. The experience has allowed us to reimagine ways to connect well-being and fun with ancestral well-being practices including song, dance and martial arts in our local parks. Indigenous cultural resurgences around the world are guiding social movements and sparking radical legal inspirations and imaginations for the drastic overhaul of the system and outdated extractive laws that seek to govern us, exploit our labour and destroy the planet. Anishinaabe legal scholar John Burroughs considers ethics of Western domination and dishonoured treaties posing the question in laws indigenous ethics. How is love relevant in regulation and dispute resolution, particularly when considering treaties? Gadrian Hewson is vigilant that tribes hold song traditions as liberational canons of law that will guide and rebalance life forces as we are still living with two laws. End quote. It's time for people in the cities to listen to nature again, that's all I can say. And that means listening to indigenous peoples again and respecting our collective rights to true self-determination and climate justice. Song lines before treaty. For this resurgence to forge action, we must continue addressing alarming rates of hearing loss for indigenous youth in Australia. Joel Sherwood Springs' work Hearing loss exposed and now declares longer term visions towards a protocol of listening within and through country in social and environmental crisis. In a recently leaked report in Australia, our National COVID 19 Coordination Committee recommends that the government create the market for gas and build fuel infrastructure. Business as usual, right? So why focus on mechanisms and voices to this flawed parliamentary system? Mega-projects blossom, and extractive industries transition into another exploitative neoliberal market. Now more than ever we must confront the politics that forge pandemics on unceded lands, and we must ensure that future generations stay courageous and compassionate in rebuilding, renewing our own self-determining communities of care. Mangugijiyaji. And just then you heard Unceded Airwaves Listening with Compassion a text written and read by Jason DeSantolo as part of Endless Study Infinite Debt. The project happened in June, and that's when this text was presented, but I think uh, what Jason talks about in this text around COVID-19 and Indigenous self-determined responses to the pandemic um, and sovereignty more broadly are all really important things to keep listening to. So thank you to Jason for sharing that. You're on 3CR, Thursday breakfast, 8.55am. Stay tuned for more Radical Radio.
You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet, www.3cr.org.au. You're listening to 3CR, Thursday morning breakfast, 855 AM. Now we're going to head into a song. Uh, this one is Buggy Laam Bargain, and it's by Birds featuring Fred Leone. But I know why we Stand on the shoreline Coop man coming Might not wanna cross mine Wanna take it from me Fire in my eye But we ain't running Wanna murder Let's ride eh, eh. Stand on the shoreline Coop man coming Might not wanna cross mine Wanna take it from me Fire in my eye But we ain't running Wanna murder Let's ride eh, eh. Yeah they say that it came in peace But our blood still stains the beach Roll the dice We gon' play for keeps The sacred place Ain't a place to preach no white faith and a black belief No, no, no Better pray that our spears don't reach He's cold, white, hot, I'ma make it bleed Leading to the first fleet Sicker than disease that he bring from overseas No matter where you flee, I will always be In the darkest of night, your descendant will see me Stand on the shoreline Come man, come in Mother wanna cross mine Wanna take it from me Fire in my eye we ain't running Wanna murder, let's ride Bagam, 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 
Just then we heard Buggy Lamb Bargain uh, by Birds and Fred Leone. Are you a person with a disability? If you are an Australian citizen, a permanent resident, or a recently accepted refugee or humanitarian entrant under the age of 65, you are able to apply for access to the National Disability Insurance Scheme. If you have met access requirements, the National Disability Insurance Scheme, also known as the NDIS, will help you access the government-funded supports you need. To find out more, visit the NDIS website or go to your nearest NDIS partner office and ask for a language interpreter to help you. NIDA and NDIA are sponsors of this radio station. You're listening to the Thursday Breakfast Show on 3CR 855 AM. We now go to an interview with Mabel, who's the founder of Undercover Kindness. Mabel is a Bondic, Gunchmara, and Naranjeri kid living on Ghana country who started an Undercover Kindness campaign with her family. So, hey, Mabel, thanks so much for taking the time to join me on the show. Could you tell listeners a little bit about who you are before we get started? My name is Megan, I'm 10 years old, and I live in Ghana country with my mum and my two older brothers and my Jack Russell Terrier, Cadbury and Isiki. Awesome. I reckon I've been following the Undercover Kindness Twitter account since you started it up. Um, it's such an awesome and important project, especially right now, I reckon, when people are feeling pretty lonely and disconnected during COVID. Um, so what made you want to start it up? Well, my mum kind of started it when she came home because she thinks that if we can choose to be anything, why wouldn't we choose to be kind? And she wants to spread kindness everywhere. And at the start, I thought it was kind of weird. She would, like, make up these, like, flyers and, like, with, like, little tear-off slips with compliments on them and leave them on public bathroom mirrors. Or she would compliment strangers at the shop. And part of me was a bit shame. But now I kind of look back and don't understand how I thought it was weird, but I did. But one day I saw um, how it really made someone say even a little bit better, and I liked the idea. But we started on top of that's awesome. Um, I think, yeah, um, it can be a bit weird to start reaching out to people that you don't know and um, telling them positive things. But I can see how that has turned into a really awesome movement for your family. Um, so for listeners who don't know much about Undercover Kindness, can you tell us what Undercover Kindness does and who are some of the people that you've reached out to? Undercover Kindness does all kinds of kindness things, like helping people by making little packs of comfort for people sleeping around. We also send happy boxes to our sisters in our remote communities, and we also send clothes and baby products and sometimes stationery to remote communities and remote area bookshops also. It's really hard for mobbing in such a remote area where there aren't lots of shops. And the stores the community sometimes charge so much money for things. And then with COVID, some of the stores ran out of things like baby wipes, so we just wanted to help out. Yeah, definitely. And I've um, I've seen some of the contents of the, of the packages because you post them up on Twitter. Um, and you really seem to be able to get everything that people need in a care package, which I think is really, really important and really cool. But not only do you send out those packages, you also write positive affirmations to go along with them. So why do you think it's so important to, to give people those messages of kindness? To each of the comfort packs from Mom Sleeping Rock, because I want everyone who gets one to know that they matter and they're important we care about them. And I think anyone should feel like they aren't worth anything or they're 
I just want everyone to know that they make the world a better place to, just by being here. I also think the little nights are important because sometimes if you're going through a rough time, then I think it'd be nice to know someone cares about you and just to tell you how special you are because everyone is special no matter where they live or who they are. If we just love each other a little bit more, the world would be such a more kind kind of place to live in. That's beautiful. And um, what's been your favorite part of the journey with Undercover Kindness so far? What's the, what's the best thing you've done? I think my favorite bit about this so far is probably just knowing that it's helping someone in need. I love that I'm able to help almost with Ralph as well as my sisters and living in remote communities. Recently, when I sent some beanies to more than one community, they sent me back of one of the elders with a beanie on her. She had the biggest smile that made me so happy. And when Rob, who was sleeping rough, get one of the pads, I know they have some goodies that will make them a little more comfortable for a little bit. It seems like a small thing to do, but I think it can really make someone's day or their life just a little easier or even make them feel like they're loved and we want them in this world. Absolutely. That's so, so important. Um, and is there anything else you want to tell our listeners about that we that I haven't asked you about? I think I just want people to know that being kind doesn't have to involve buying things. It can be simple things that don't cost anything, like it could be um, complimenting someone at the shops or letting someone in the queue ahead of you or like just donating books to people, saying thank you to someone or picking up litter and holding the door open for someone, or even leaving a little handwritten notes and like, it all makes a difference because you don't know what someone is going through at that time, and your kindness might just be the thing that turns the day around. That is um, an awesome and timely reminder, I think. Um, So where can listeners follow Undercover Kindness online? You can follow Undercover Kindness on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I also have a page on the website my brother set up for our family. It is www.therevolutionware.com and it has a link to the Facebook and Twitter pages. Awesome. Thank you so much for doing such an incredible job of creating the kind of world that I think we all want to live in. Um, and thank you for joining me on the show. That's okay. Thank you for having me on it. That was an interview with Mabel, who started the Undercover Kindness Initiative with her family. Mabel is a Bondic, Gunachamara, and Naranjari kid living on Ghana country, and she started up this Undercover Kindness campaign, which sends care packages and positive affirmations to mop around the country. All right. I asked Mabel if she had any song requests to follow up that interview, and she's requested Truth Hurts by Lizzo.
with your bitch. I mean, who would wanna hide this? I will never, ever, 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 ever be your side chick. I put the singing single. Ain't worried about a ring on my finger. So you can tell your friend. Shoot your child when you see him. It's okay, he already in my DM. Listening to the Thursday Breakfast Show on 3CR 855 AM. That was Truth Hurts by Lizzo. Well, that's all we've got time for today. Um, so, just as a recap of what we brought to you this week, uh, we heard an interview between Shahrazad and Sue McKinnon from King Lake Friends of the of the Forest Incorporated, which is a not-for-profit environment organization. Um, and Sue joined Shahrazad to talk about Vic Forest's alleged logging of bushfire protection areas in the Central Highlands. After that, we, uh, we heard the recording of Unseated Airwaves, Listening with Compassion, which is a piece written and read by Jason DeSantolo as part of Endless Study, Infinite Debt, which is a collaborative project facilitated by Snack Syndicate. And finally, you heard an interview that I did with Mabel, who is a Bondic, Gunachamara, and Naranjari kid living on Ghana country, who's involved with the Undercover Kindness Campaign, which she started up with her family. So... Thank you all for tuning in again this week, and we hope to catch you all next Thursday morning. And one final reminder that tonight will be the event Classroom to Newsroom, Racial Gatekeeping in Australian Media. So if you just look that up on Facebook, you'll be able to find a link. Um, and that runs from 6 to 7.30 p.m. And it is facilitated by the wonderful Anya from 3CR's Tuesday Breakfast Program. So make sure that you tune in tonight. Now we go to Lost in Science. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Clap your hands.